Hello and welcome to the 14th. You, uh, uh, 14th, yes. 14th episode of the Midnight Film Review. This is Brian Stevens, and with me, I guess, is Colin Smith. I just in, stepped on your line. You did. You did. In spirit and body <laughs> is Colin Smith, who's me, by the way. Hello. Hello, everybody. He has traveled uh, miles through the snow, and. Uh, in honor of the Revenant this week. I went out and I skinned a bear, and then I <laughs> dressed in only my procured bear fur. I hiked all the way to Brian's house with no shoes. With no, did he have shoes? Yeah, he had, he shoes. had shoes. So yeah, I had shoes too. Did you jump in any ice freezing water? Only, only to escape from people that were trying to murder me. Yes, the Mill Creek actually. <laughs> I, I drifted Mill Creek for a while. <laughs> For no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, just, uh, just to test my uh, the efficacy of my tetanus vaccine. <laughs> Scraping the nails long. Well, I don't even. What are we even talking about? Know, off the rails like usual. Yeah. Um, okay, so this week <laughs> we have uh, an excellent episode. We're gonna talk about a few things in news. The awesome uh, Oscar nominations came out today. We're super excited yeah. about that. Thank God. Two years in a row, nothing but white people. We were really worried there for a second we, we, that some sort of racial diversity could have snuck into our our the Hollywood machine, <laughs> but it didn't happen. So. Hollywood will not be shamed. Everybody, breathe a sigh of relief that you don't have to. <laughs> the best part about this, and we didn't talk about this uh, off mic before the show. Chris Rock's hosting. Wow! They just wow! They just gave him all the material he could ask for. I mean, that's be- I might actually watch this year. It, it could be really bad for the Oscars. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about some uh, NBC's uh, <laughs> desire to figure out why people watch or how many people watch Netflix and why they're obsessed with it. We will maybe talk through some of that. But first, it's box office update time. <laughs> <laughs> it's your Star Wars update, brought to you by BoxOfficeMojo.com. <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got. We're going to make that into a, a real spot. Yeah, please uh, please don't sue us. We're plugging you or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're also going to review The Revenant, too. That's also going to be at the end. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, but first is Colin with the Box Office Mojo update. Colin? So, Star Wars Force Awakens, I think sometime after our last episode... Did uh did take the domestic record officially? Um, it's also at the uh, third third all time worldwide gross um, at one point seven eight billion dollars. Um, but domestically, it's done eight hundred and twenty two point eight million, um, which gives it the number one spot. So, go America, go Star Wars! I think is what I'm saying. America? Yeah. Congratulations, J.J. Um, Abrams. Yeah. You deserve this. <laughs> you you started with an IP that nobody knew about or cared about, and you turned you it into something it the, great. Build it from the ground up. Uh-huh. Um, taking notes, James Cameron. 
Um, uh, he could care less. Yeah, he's he's still floating on his Titanic money. We're we're gonna get to Avatar the Moon. We're gonna get there. Avatar the Moon. Avatar the uh, Moon. So what I think is interesting about the box office is we talked. Um, about how it was lagging in overseas, but it's almost at a billion um, overseas money, which uh, I think, it, if you look at Jurassic World, I think could be a good comparison. It's probably going to get to a billion, I would say. Only a little less than 50 million. Oh, yeah, but, then. I mean, we've run for, what, like 18 weeks or something? Uh, yeah. And Avatar ran for like 72 weeks, so... yeah. If it stays, if it stays in the box office that long, it stays in theaters that long. It's gonna. I don't know. I think it has a, it still has a shot of doing something. But uh, uh, yeah, I I I, t- I think it'll make two mil- two billion, and I think it's gonna kind of plateau. Uh, what they'd be wise to do is pull it back and then do another re-release sometime in the spring when it gets a little warmer. But then again. January is like the most dead month ever for for films, um, and I mean, people are recovering from the holidays, but they still want to see movies. American Sniper opened in January and it did huge numbers, and I mean, unless this is just like Patriot Month, you know, what we could do is uh, Bill Simmons on his podcast, or no, sorry, it was um, Chuck Klosterman on the Bill Simmons podcast said that. Uh, he thinks it'd be a great idea to nationalize Star Wars, and um, kind of like the kind of like uh, Greenpeace or something like that. Uh huh. Bring in billion dollars of revenue for <laughs> the country, you know. So wait, we we'd have to buy it. Wouldn't we have to buy it from Disney? Yeah, seems uh, like. Well, no, he, his thing was Disney should just give it to the government because it'd be like a good thing. Like, yeah, okay. hey, we're gonna give back. Yeah, Disney is known for their. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We don't even have to go there. Let's just stay away from that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Star Wars is still massively huge hit. Uh-huh. Um, so you want to talk a little bit about these uh, uh, Oscar nominations? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, so... No surprise. Um, there are some stuff we thought would get... Best Picture nomination, The Revenant's there, uh, Spotlight's there, Room is there, uh, Martian, which is was a good movie but does not really seem like Best Picture material, is there, and then a co- couple films we haven't seen, um, Brooklyn Bridge of Spies, Big Short, uh, really Brooklyn is the only thing on that list I'm not super familiar with, I, you know, again I have heard good things, but uh Pretty straightforward stuff, and except for the conspicuous uh, omission of Hateful Eight. Or maybe not conspicuous, I don't know. Maybe uh, we're the only ones who kind of didn't see that coming. I, I has This is kind of off topic, but has the Academy in Hollywood kind of grown tired of Quentin? I mean, probably. <laughs> probably. I mean, Pulp, you know, Pulp Fiction was pretty novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'd have to look at maybe that maybe we can do that next show. Look at a nomination history for his film. See if they're just uh, signals crap at this point. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I hope I hope there was like a rule that like if he if he doesn't if he does any flashbacks in his film or cuts it in a non chronological order, <laughs> he's automatically snubbed. <laughs> I, I would be okay with that. Uh, I mean. Uh, 
I don't. I, I've never understood how the academy works. Uh, I mean, y- you had years where, uh, you know, something like Birdman last year, for instance, won. And uh, yeah, it's about stage and acting, so maybe that appealed to them. But it was an odd movie, and it's not one that I necessarily enjoyed. Uh, it was okay. Um, we'll talk about The Revenant later, but Inuritu's nomination makes sense from a director standpoint, but from a, as a film, I just, to me, that wasn't like best picture quality. Like, I just, and <clears throat> I think Revenant will probably win this year, and I think it's kind of the same thing. Whereas, like, I think the direction is good, but it's like, I don't, to me, Spotlight is, it, it, it's hard to say because I think I haven't seen Room or, you know, British Spies or Brooklyn or the picture. <laughs> but, like, Mad Max Fury Road as a movie, and, and I'm not just being a fanboy, it was probably the best movie I've seen all year um, overall. But Spotlight also... I don't know. I, I think between those two, I'd give Spotlight the nod. I think yeah. uh, I think it's just so technically well executed yeah. that it's... It, and it's also... Mad Max Fury Road is not for everybody. Spotlight, I think, more people... There's a broader audience appeal. Certainly. Um, yes. And stuff like that has to play a part in their decision making. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a bunch of old white men, and that is the biggest part of their decision making. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just uh, I I can see that I can see how some of the elements of Fury Road um, would kind of. Give it, uh, give it a limited appeal. Um, one other thing I, w- I wanted to talk about was so Avery again got snubbed for original screenplay, which to me is one of the most shocking. Um, and Inside Out <clears throat> stuck in there. Yeah, I mean, so Ex Machina got on there, which is good because yes. that was a very, very clever film, um, and it, it got on in a, it, with a couple other. Uh, of the more technical Oscars, um, which it, it definitely deserves consideration for everything it got consideration for, at the very least. Uh, the the other stuff, I mean, Spotlight, we kind of said that that is definitely needed a screenplay nod, and it got it. Um, mm-hmm. Adapted screen. I mean, we're we're seeing most of this, the same movies, uh, with the exception of Inside Out and Ex Machina. And straight out of Compton that we did for Best Picture here, um, for original and adapted. And so. then to me, the the biggest uh, biggest like snub to me is Aaron Sorkin's Jaws, just because it won the Golden Globe. It was touted. It's Sorkin. Hollywood loves his dialogue, loves him. Which I mean, that's just really odd. I I know that critics didn't really care for Jobs. It didn't do well in the box office. Fassbender, I guess, I mean, he got nominated. He's terrific, I guess, in the role, and everybody raved about. Kate Winslet, which she uh, she won a Golden Globe, and I don't think she got nominated either. Did she? Yeah, she did. Oh, she did. Okay, pretty sure. Yeah, there she did. Yep. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, but you know that that's surprising that Sorkin would get left off. Um, but the I mean, the Big Short, Brooklyn, I haven't seen. Carol, I haven't seen. Uh, Room and The Martian, um, which. If anything about The Martian, it would be the script is the best thing, I think, about that that movie. Um, <clears throat> but 
again, not to beat a dead horse, and you're going to hear a lot about this, but there are some, there were some opportunities to nominate. You know, a lot of times you hear the excuse, it's not the Academy's job to make good roles for people of color, black, Asian, uh, Latin, Latino, <clears throat> you know, Hispanic, what have you. Um, but there were some great performances and uh, great roles this year that weren't, recognize it all you know sam jackson and hateful eight maybe it's because of tarantino but he was awesome in that yeah, role. He, re- he really was he really killed it um and the biggest omission for us was idris elba in *Beast yeah, of no nation exactly um, and so there, there i mean that film got no, just no nods at all I, and i wonder if that had to do with its distribution did that have something to do with netflix i mean the and the the idea that it's it's not there not the academy's job to create these roles is true but then the academy is also a symptom of these studios that are like largely controlled and dominated by white men right. and older white men and they control where the money goes and ultimately what films get made mm-hmm. so um yeah, I mean, you know, it, it it goes a little deeper than just those. The, I mean, Elba to me would like you said off mic is that would be the most obvious addition. Like, I mean, you were totally right because the performance is far and away just as much quality as any performance you're gonna see. And the movie is, you know, you could say it's just as important as anything you're you're going to see. The the subject matter. <laughs> um, but also, you know, Creed, Ryan, <clears throat> Ryan Coogler, or, you know, Michael B. Jordan. I don't think Michael B. Jordan was that great to be nominated, but, you know, that, that movie was directed very well. And I'm not saying that it should replace any of the other names on there, but it, I feel like it would have been surprising if it was. And it shouldn't feel that way. It should have definitely been in the running and been a possibility, you know. Um you know, we could say the same thing for, um, um, you know, Oscar Isaac. I thought, you know, he, he, <clears throat> he's had a great year and different, you know, roles. Yeah, but Ex Machina was a tremendous role. It was a lot different than anything he played all year. It was, and, and his performance was uh, frightening. Yeah. Um, he, he really just made the character um, everything it was supposed to be uh, intelligent um, manipulative uh, scheming underhanded but powerful and uh, in, in some ways likable in some ways likable but in some ways very sinister um, yeah. it, it was just an incredible performance uh, and you know maybe what it comes back to is how much do these awards really mean for the average person? <laughs> yeah. Which is probably probably not that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we know I know in the past, you know, sometimes they look at these category awards, especially for actor and actress, as a way to like make up for somebody being snubbed in the past, they give like apology yeah. awards. Um Leo this year. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm still. 
<laughs> You're still hoping. Yes. For... So I'm st- I'm still hoping for, you know, really I would love to see. I haven't seen Steve Jobs. I'm not going to see Steve Jobs because I could give. I'm I'm not going to say what I could give two shits less, which is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, maybe Fassbender will win, Leo will lose, and then. Tom Hardy could win Best Supporting Actor for the same film, and it would just be the ultimate snub. That would make me happy. Uh, I think it'd be funny if Matt Damon won for The Martian. That would be that might be the biggest smack in the face to Leo. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if I had to guess, I haven't seen Trumbo. I haven't seen Jobs or The Danish Girl. But if I had to guess, the the least maybe difficult or least nuanced or least character performance would probably be Matt Damon's in the version. Based on, based purely on speculation. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to guess that'd be the biggest slap in the face. Um, Then the other thing, do you want to say anything else about Oscars? No, I mean, you know, Sylvester Stallone, uh, character playing Rocky and Creed, got a supporting actor nod, which I like. I think he... He did a, a really good job. Now, did he deserve this over all the other supporting roles? Yeah. Maybe not, but um, I think just being nominated is is a good recognition for the good work he did uh, in that film. Um, Let's just hope he remembers to thank the black people who made this possible. Yeah, God, I can't, I can't imagine. They, they must be sweating right now with Chris Rock hosting this year. I know. Are they crazy? <laughs> I, I can't wait. That is, that is the, the funniest thing I've heard in a I, while. I've never been to, nor have I had a Oscars uh, party, but uh, it might be fun to have one this year, just because I, I have a feeling that Chris Rock might do something a little crazy. I mean, so what, what year is this Oscar? Forty something. Oh no! Way more than that. Yeah, it's the eighty-eighth annual roast of Hollywood white people by Chris Rock. <laughs> this is what it's going to be this year. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm actually kind of looking forward to that. <laughs> to yeah. that. Um, the uh, other thing we want to talk about is, of course, because we love talking about Netflix and uh, it just how it just drives people crazy. Um, well, not. I mean, it drives the big networks crazy. Yeah, sorry. And the the uh, basic cable networks probably crazy to some extent. Just driving them up a wall. Uh, and <laughs> most notably, uh, if you've seen the the news recently, NBC hired the um, it's, I guess a tech company, uh, I, analytics company. Yeah, I, I would probably call them an analytics company. I don't know if they'd call themselves that, but. That seems to be what they've done in this case here. And they've hired them to figure out how many people are watching certain Netflix shows. Yes. Um, I guess to use this as some kind of firepower against advertisers. Uh, I mean, I don't really know how this helps NBC. I I mean, I, I think the most logical explanation is that they wanted to understand who they were up against or what they were up against as if, you know, as if Netflix is some traditional media company that you can use this metric in some meaningful way. Like everything about this just screams like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get this at all. 
Yeah. For like NBC doesn't get this at all. How this works, or well, they're the only, are, they, are they the only company that isn't in on Hulu, or are they one of the ones that is on? No, NBC, NBC is Hulu. It is Hulu. Okay, yeah, NBC owns Hulu. Well, they, I know Fox and or they originally NBC owned Hulu. Maybe they there are, is multiple ownerships. It, it is. It's because okay. Fox, NBC, and CBS, I think, all have like equal stake. Interesting. In Hulu. Okay. So I, I guess maybe from, but th- this doesn't have anything to do with Hulu. This doesn't, you know, like, I, I don't, I, I don't understand. I, I, I really don't. I mean, if, if they were thinking that they could use this as some kind of weapon against advertisers, I mean, it doesn't. I, to me, it's like you're misunderstanding the market because the reason people have Netflix is because it's. At their fingertips and it's on demand and there is no advertising. Yeah, well, I mean, so. everything about this article screams that we don't understand the market. We don't understand how to quantify this data. And if you look at the articles, uh, well, first of all, this is all extrapolated from a sample size of 15,000 people. The data was collected through audio recognition software on installed on cell phones and tablets. This so is they're, creepy. They're, I mean, like... In science, you have to <laughs> make <laughs> make adjustments for how your the your samples your sample might be skewed or how your the, how your data might be skewed. I mean, if they haven't they haven't taken any of this data from people you know watching Netflix or Hulu on their TV or on their computer, that seems like a red red flag for me. But so yeah. this is all all extrapolated from fifteen thousand cell phone users using audio recognition technology um, and they the way they presented it is they gave a number who watched like X show over a 35 day period they don't say watch the entire show watch the entire seasons they just say based on our data <laughs> this many million people watch this show over a 35 day period now, what does that mean to us? Like, absolutely nothing. But more importantly, what I mean, what does that mean to NBC? And why why do they feel the need to publish this information? <laughs> it's they're like trying to shame Netflix, which I can just see Netflix just laughing. Like, I mean, it, yeah, it's conf- like it it doesn't make the data doesn't make any sense. I don't know what you're gonna do with it. Like, <laughs> everybody's just gonna cancel their Netflix subscription. Nobody's watching this. Like, it doesn't. I just. Well, I, I mean, are, I, if the only thing I can think of is they're trying to reassure their in, their investors uh, in ad space. Like, yeah, advertisers. Don't worry, guys. We still got we still got way more people watching during commercial breaks than they do at right, any time. Right. And the it, water's fine. Stay here. It's it's a scary time to be a network station because basic cable. Uh, networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, are one, they're sinking fast. They're not, you know, advertisers are pulling left and right. It's just, it's just not there. I don't know if I'd say they're sinking fast, but the the, t- the times they are changing. That's what we keep coming back to here, uh, is seeing evidence of this, the writing on the wall, and, you know, I... <laughs> That something's gonna give. So, you know, they're they're still making money, and the problem is all of their 
all their models and systems are outdated. And uh, I just don't think they know how to reconcile that with the success of these streaming video on demand companies and these new companies making original content um, without resorting to selling commercials and, you know. So. Without Nielsen to give them pats on the back and <laughs> help them sell more ad space. I mean. I was trying to look because, um, I guess, uh, I, I had remembered hearing, you know, that NBC was actually not going to make a whole lot of money, but, um, I guess that was just on the Olympics. Um, but the, the, I, see, here's the thing with NBC and they're, and they're in a weird area where like they, at one time, you know, they had friends in ER Seinfeld and uh, Will and Grace and all these sh- hit shows just boom, 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 one after the other. And when those shows were in their course and they all kind of came to an end pretty close to the same time, which was uh, over 10 years ago, they haven't really been able to recover from from that. And what once was the, the top-notch station has now, it's in fourth place. Everybody's watching CBS and they're niche, you know, shows. Chicago, Chicago ER fire police. LPD 725. Chicago coroner. CSI, Chicago. (laughs) Chicago ferry service. Yes. Um, And then, you know, ABC is, has, they once were the laughing stock and they've kind of came into their own with, you know, these multiple camera you know, television shows like Modern Family and uh, Parenthood, which won a bunch of awards, and it's now out there. But you know, ABC's kind of, or was Parenthood NBC? It doesn't matter. They're asking the wrong guy. Yeah. Um, and then Fox, of course, has their niche. Of the, the, you know, um, but the thing with NBC is, uh, they have Sunday Night Football. That was like their big thing. And last year, the games were absolutely horrible, so nobody watched them. Um, this year has been better, obviously, but, I mean, football in America is just crazy for sports in general. Uh, the report is that the NFL has had a hard time selling Super Bowl spots because the advertisement money is drying up. And people don't want to spend a million dollars for a 30-second spot anymore. And even though that's the biggest watch. So to me, that that ties into kind of this whole thing with Netflix is these networks are panicking because if you can't sell money, if you can't sell and make money off the Super Bowl, you're not going to be able to sell a spot for, you know, random TV show starring people you've never heard of about a single father trying to raise two kids. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not there. Yeah. Um, and Netflix just, the protection value is so much better and they care. They're opening their, their wallets up. So NBC keep trying. It's kind of funny. I think there's a TV, I think they should make a TV show about trying to find out why people like Netflix. Yeah. Netflix, we're, we're going to send you our, Send you our, our script. Be ready for a pitch. Yeah. It's going to be a wacky, quirky sitcom about a bunch of TV executives drowning in the death of the death of the television era. It's like that commercial, uh, the uh, Direct TV commercial with uh, 
uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Fred Willard and uh, that whole crew. You never seen that? Oh, man. I don't know. And it's like, they're like the cable company, and they're like, why is DirecTV so much better? It's I'll show it to you after. Okay. And I think we'll, we'll build on that. Yeah. So be ready for the treatment, Netflix. <laughs> We're going to send it. Anything else? Any anything else newsworthy that you want to speak to? No, I, it's been a, it's been a sad week. This is our new celebrity yeah. news segment. It's been a, a sad week um, for music and television. We lost yeah. Alan Rickman and David Bowie in a couple of days. So, I told Amanda I wanted to name our child if we had one ever. Bowie. She said no. It was stupid. Should name him Ziggy. Yes. Or just Stardust. Yeah. Stardust, clean up your room. I like that better. Stardust, come here this instant. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Alan Rickman. Hans, forever in my heart. Sad day. Really talented actor, man. Talented and dry. I mean, very dryly funny, which is yeah. not it's something you have to be born with, the ability to do. Um, yes. I think it's very hard to be that good at <laughs> dry humor that is at dry humor so um uh he'll probably forever be known as um Hans to me but what, who did he play in the Harry Potter uh you know I think he was was he Snape Snape yeah Severus Snape I think sure isn't that the annoying potions teacher or something or man the, I, this is who I've, loves Slytherin I have never seen a Harry Potter film or read a Harry Potter book. I'm I'm pretty sure he played Snape. I believe so, you. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that's who most people know him as. So sad day, like you said. Angry Harry Potter fanboys and girls, please write me to tell me yes. <laughs> what I just butchered. Yes. Well, yeah. So email us at the show, midnightfilmreview at gmail dot yeah, Guys, you got us all all hot and bothered with two emails and then nothing this week. Yeah. Very disappointing. You're such a tease. <laughs> Stop it. Just just get off your asses and send us an email. Yeah, type some stuff. It's not hard. Anymore. No, no I'm just being a dick. All right, well, hold on, and we'll be right back with a couple of recommendations. All the things that come to you And I want to feel it too On and on and Welcome back to Midnight Film Review. Uh, we're going to go into our review segment now. We've both been uh, very busy this week. If you can tell by the fact that we're recording on <laughs> recording on Thursday. I mean, who knows when you'll even listen to this. Yeah. But recording on a Thursday instead of a Monday. Um, which, by the way, might be our normal uh, n- normal schedule, except for next week when we go back to Monday just to like <laughs> screw with you. And <laughs> just for a one-time only. Ourse- yeah. <laughs> confuse ourselves a little bit. Um, so I'm going to uh, go ahead and recommend uh, something that is not for everybody, as happens seemingly more frequently on this show. <laughs> yes. Um, but I don't want to be friends with anybody who doesn't like what you're about to recommend. I'm just saying. I, I mean, I think that would probably include like your wife and my girlfriend. <laughs> Good <laughs> maybe point. She, maybe she watch what you say. <laughs> it's okay. They don't listen to this anyway. Exactly. Um, if you are a fan of Adult Swim or uh, anything Absolutely Productions has done, uh, Tom Goes to the Mayor, um, the Tim and Eric Awesome Show, great job. Uh, check it out with Dr. Steve Brule. 
You might have already seen this. Uh, it's a little show called The Eric Andre Show. Um, I think it's entering... It's either entering its fourth or entering its fifth season. Uh, I know at least three full seasons are available on Hulu. Uh, you can send us that check anytime. <laughs> it is... It's a little bit hard to describe, but it's... <laughs> mildly. It's, it's something like a... A talk show with sketches filmed in an alternate reality that is a waking nightmare. Um, the and the the introduction. To, I've never seen a show where the introduction is a perfect summation of what what the show is going to be like uh, until I saw the first episode of the Eric Andre show. Um, and the show opens with the host just going totally berserk and destroying the set. <laughs> uh, for just thoroughly destroying the set. Um, and he finally slumps down in a chair, exhausted and sweating. And the set reconstructs itself around him. And he's forced to begin the show. Um, <laughs> it is, it is uh, brilliantly demented. Um, Eric Andre is a weird dude. Um, and... The sketches are nothing short of outrageous. Um, I think in the the first, very first episode, one of the sketches involves uh, he, him running around um, a Civil War reenactment dressed <laughs> as a slave with a white slave owner chasing him with a whip. Um, <laughs> and if you don't find that funny, then I'm really sorry. I don't I don't know what's what happened to you as a child too. To, to not not see the humor in that um, it's co-hosted by Hannibal Burris who plays the straight man um, and is kind of the the dry uh, counterpoint to Eric Andre's just total insanity um, it's a good way to put it insanity. detachment from reality um, and Hannibal Burris kind of serves as this show's link to the audience in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. I was never really a big fan of him, but he does he does a great job. He's got some very funny bits on the show. Um, but it is uh, it is just a lot to take in, and I love every second of it. Um, it's it's a little more focused than Tim and Eric, um, but. There, there is much. There are much stronger thematic elements than in Tim and Eric. Um, it's much more cohesive, mm-hmm. uh, but it really builds the show as kind of it's the show is its own reality. Um, and I think Eric Andre is trapped inside <laughs> that reality. Uh, it's just a lot of fun watching his uh, his insanity kind of be realized <laughs> on screen. Um, I. The, the, I watched an interview uh, after you told me about the show. I watched several clips um, uh, of the show and several interviews with him. And, and let me just say, watching the interviews of, of him are just as entertaining as watching a show because he's a loose cannon. And he, I would not want to be his publicist. I would not want to be his agent. They have to be like on the edge of their seat constantly. Um, but he described himself, I think it was to Conan. Um, to me, the the best way possible, and that was as the Tom Green show. If anybody remembers the Tom Green show, uh, on acid, <laughs> and that's not far off at all. That is, 
and you hear that oh it's like this on acid no it's literally the Tom Green show on acid well I think when I pitched I made so I made Brian watch the first episode with me and I think the way I pitched it to you was the most accurate visual depiction of a waking nightmare that I've ever seen yes <laughs> so <laughs> if that doesn't make you want to see it then I I don't know what to say you're, I, you're not living and it, it's hard to explain like you said what the show is but it's like it is like Tom Green Ali G all that mixed into Tim, Tim, I mean, and, Tim Eric. and Eric yeah. yeah I mean that's the best way to describe it but it is so funny and I literally got lost for almost an hour just watching the show and it's it is the most it, there's there are some very um I, I didn't particularly watch the show in order which you're telling me that I definitely should because you, you definitely have to there's yeah the sketches are great but there's there's more uh in the studio too uh it is the, Eric Andre is one of the most balty <laughs> people out there the, the stuff that he's doing it's that Somebody else uh, compared it to when he does some of his uh, uh, his stuff on the street. Is have you seen the TV show Billy on the Street, or have you heard of Billy on the Street? I've heard of it. I've never seen it. Is if Billy on the Street was done by a maniac, <laughs> just kind of an insane asylum. Yep. Um, so I, I think we've thoroughly pitched this show correctly. Yeah. Um, but it, and it's it, it's worth your time for sure. It's amazing. It's intense. And it's hilarious. Yeah. So, and something equally as hilarious is something I've already recommended, and I'm going back to because season three just came out, um, and that's uh, the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret. But this season is just called Todd Margaret, um, and they've kind of <sighs> subverted the previous seasons into something totally different they've taken the goofiness of todd margaret and turned it into this character has woken from a dream the last two seasons were a dream (laughs) apparently i mean maybe not i mean maybe we'll find out in the end but he is (laughs) the only competent person in the universe uh whereas he was the most incompetent person in the universe in the first two seasons and everyone around him just continually screws everything up, making his life difficult. Um, and there's characters from the previous two seasons. There's um, plot lines that have followed through from the previous season. And, uh, yeah, I I would definitely recommend it. It's David Cross um, basically being himself. It's not. He's not playing a character. It's very David Cross. It's him being a smartass to people who are stupid. Um, Will Arnett's uh, only been in one episode, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know if that's because he, he doesn't have time to be in the show. But he gets sucked into a cult, and that's part of the the underlying narrative of the film is searching for Will Arnett's character. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting. It's an interesting take. I think it's. I think he's trying to be more. Uh, I don't want to pretend like he's saying something that he's not because it's. I feel like the show is really going to draw out the plot of the film of of the of the show. Like it's building on itself episode after episode. Um, 
but I think it's going to have something very interesting to say socially at the, by the end. Well, I mean, just, so just the, the change in title sounds like it's pretty indicative that the show is going in a new direction, not away from Todd Margaret's character just sort of failing deeper into this pit that he will never climb out of every episode uh, into, you know, something new. So. so I turn on the first episode and it's got this cold open and he's got this goatee on and this really bad wig and horn room glasses and he comes into his nice kitchen and he's talking to his real life wife Amber Tamlin who plays his girlfriend on uh, the first two seasons and he's like you know I just had the worst worst dream I ever like and he starts telling her about it and she's like you should start a dream journal and then it just stops and it just says Todd Margaret, part one. And it's, like, so cinematic and so, like, haunting. It just, it, it's, it's almost like a reboot of the show. But So, um, get caught up. It's very, there's only a six-episode season, so you can breeze through the first two on Netflix. The third season just started on IFC. The fourth episode will be, I think, tonight. Um, may have been last night or tonight. Hilarious show. Worth your time. If you love Will Arnett, if you love that kind of humor, snarky, um, if you love David Cross's stand-up, uh, you'll you'll love it. So, um, it's on the IFC. I know not a lot of people have IFC, but look for it. Search it out. It's well worth your time. For The first two seasons are the most painful, funniest seasons of, you know... And a I think, recent memory, like you, you will you will pee your pants. And I think it will be uh, very interesting if you like if you watched all twelve episodes of the first two seasons, and then went like and then went straight into the third season because it's so it's so different and it's so uh, jarring the the change in the character, um, but. Definitely uh, check it out. That's uh, increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret. I think that's going to. Uh... Yeah, we we have exhausted our short repertoire of uh, reviews for this week. Yeah, so um, we got Eric Andre's show. Do you know what nights that comes on? New season? No, I, I have no idea. I'm, um, again, I'm watching this all on Hulu. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry. We're. We're a shill for the man. They just keep giving us money and we keep talking about Hulu. Yeah. E- email us so so you know where to send checks. <laughs> I know uh, you're listening. Midnightfilmreview no, at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Eric Andre show, uh, increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret. Now just Todd Margaret. Now it's just Todd Margaret. Um, check those shows out. Hold on and we'll be right back with a review of The Revenant. And we're back with a review of Alejandro Aritu. <laughs> uh, did I nail it? You did. Aritu. In, Aritu. You did not nail it. But Alejandro Aritu. You're. Aritu. You know the show wouldn't be the same if you did nail it. So yeah, that's true. Let's just let's just go with what works. Uh, latest film, The Revenant, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. I can say that name. Yes. Uh, Tom Hardy. Uh, oh, here's one that I'm going to have trouble with. Uh, Domhnall? Domhnall. Gleeson? Yeah. Domhnall Gleeson. Um, 
is it uh, what the the oh good fellow what the the hawk what's the boy's name I can't believe this is oh I you know I don't know I don't know the actor that played hawk but um, let's hear let's hear butcher's name <laughs> you want to hear me butcher his name I, I really do um, I really really do. <laughs> Uh, so anybody else that we missed in the cast? Uh, it's a pretty small cast, actually. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's Will Porter, Will Poulter plays Bridger, who was uh, is has a decent role. Yeah. Forrest Goodluck plays Hawk. Okay. That's his debut debut movie. Um, those are pretty much all the speaking roles or roles that matter. <laughs> roles that matter. Yeah. Um, really, there are. F- Five characters in this movie, yeah, that are named characters. I would say correct. Uh, um, named characters of any um, significance. Uh, screenplay is by Inuritu and uh, Mark Smith, who um, has written some interesting stuff, by the way. So, um, Vacancy, the movie with um, Kate Beckinsale and Luke Wilson. Uh, the sequel, Vacancy 2, which I didn't know there was one. The Hole, which, um, have you ever seen The Hole? Is that uh, about Courtney Love? <laughs> no. It's directed by Joe Dante. Um, Gremlins, Joe, Gremlins fame Joe Dante. Uh, it's about a hole in this kid's uh, house that uh, is like a gateway to hell. Pretty interesting, kind of dark. Uh, that sounds film. up my alley, but yeah. no, I, I'm not familiar. Um, and then The Revenant, which... Uh, I would say that the script is probably <laughs> one of the weakest parts of the film. Yeah, the we we both had found the narrative lacking. How about that? Because yeah. we're we're spoiler free still. Yes, but uh, narrative was lacking. Um, yeah. Beautiful film. Um, well, I, I feel like I should start by saying that. Neither of us were sure how much we liked about this film, yeah. but there there are there are some really good things going on. But more importantly than that, you should go see it. Um, mm-hmm. Visually, I I think it's pretty fair to say there's never been anything like this before. Um, oh, definitely the 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 camera work and the landscape and the natural lighting. Um, just produce an effect that uh, that visually set this apart from any other film that I that I know of, and definitely that I've seen. Um, it is a it is a beautiful film um, in a lot of ways. It's it's very bleak um, and haunting visually, uh, but it is beautiful. And if you're if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you will get enough out of the film. Just based on cinematography alone to make yeah. it worth seeing in theaters. Um, I would say that um, where the movie lacks a narrative, it makes up for in visual, visually being visually stimulating. The thing with this film, I think, is um, Inuritu is. I kind of alluded to this earlier with Birdman is um, he is obsessed with filmmaking and. It's quite obvious that it, it, the script was secondary to the way he wanted this to play out, and I think he accomplished his goal. Um, he's 
said and it's been talked about how painful it was for the actors to make this movie Tom Hardy almost quit several times because he just felt like it was ridiculous but um, you know Inuritu has said like <laughs> I uh, I'm crazy but I'm not stupid uh, this was one of the more ridiculous things I've ever done and I'll never do it again but I'm so happy he did it this one time because what you have is something that's not only visceral but is beautiful at the same time and you feel the character's pain because it's not they're not acting they they are cold they are frostbite they're borderline hyperthermic and you can feel it and it it's you know it's a weird combination of uh of the elements affecting the way that the acting is but it's also, um, there is some good acting, um, and Tom Hardy is spectacular in this film, and he really has the majority of the spoken lines, the spoken yeah. dialogue in the film, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, Leo, the main character, uh, Glass, Glass, yeah. he, he plays Hugh Glass, um, does very little speaking, and even less speaking in English. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean the so the majority there there is a lot of physical acting mm-hmm. uh, in this film um, but m- not a lot of interaction between actors mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways uh, but es- especially with the protagonist uh, Glass played by Leah um, most of his performance is he he is the only one on camera um, and it's him interacting with I normally I would say the set, but uh, the yeah. environment. Um, right. So, yeah, there's the the narrative is pretty straightforward. Um, I don't know really how much there is to talk about that's spoiler free here. Um, I think we can talk about. Um, I think we can talk a little bit about the themes of the film. Which is revenge. I mean, and you know, the poster, uh, if you've seen the poster, it gives the definition of what revenant means. So you, we know that uh, Leo is coming for someone. Um, and, and not to get too spoiler ish, like we said, but um, do you think that the film pays off the revenge aspect? Do you feel like it follows through? with that theme because that was something that I kind of struggled with at the end Um, does it say enough about the consequences of revenge I I don't know I mean I I don't I I don't think that any I I don't think the end of the film is necessary necessarily a literal um, capstone for the story um and I don't, I don't think that the the narrative works very well uh, at a literal level. Um, I think, I th- I think there is more more benefit to kind of trying to interpret the film. Um, you know, I'm not willing to say that it means this or it means that, but. Uh, uh, 
I, th- I think as a simple revenge tale, the, f- the film doesn't work very well. Um, I agree. The, I, and I, Tom Hardy does a great job of being an unlikable bastard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there is... Uh, there is motivation for the audience to want revenge um, or want the protagonist to get revenge, but ultimately I, I don't think that the... Uh, the the story pays off in a literal sense. Um, I don't, and my 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 big thing is I kept thinking of Kill Bill when I was like going back and thinking about this movie, and throughout Kill Bill, um, the bride is constantly being told or thinking, um, you know, is will will revenge make a difference? Um, you know. You hear a lot in that, in both one and two, about revenge uh, is mostly about the journey, right? And I feel like that that theme is played out pretty well because it's the journey, following Leo through the wilderness and having to survive. And to me, that's the meat of the story: is him getting, winding his way through this journey, and the payoff at the end, without giving away any spoilers. I just. It, to me, it didn't feel heavy enough. The weight, uh, kind of, it, it's to me, it was a weird ending to a pretty straightforward film. Um, straightforward in the sense that, you know, we know what his goal is, um, but he never questions that goal. To me, that was weird. I, I don't know. I, usually, in a character who's seeking revenge, they either um, have doubts, remorse. You know, uh, something along the lines. Um, I mean, we can talk about more about the, at the end, more of the. End well, I mean, speaking on that, the characters are all pretty one-dimensional as literal characters. If you're not trying to see this as metaphor for, <laughs> you know, the colonization and marginalization of other cultures by the white man. Uh, if you're not, if you're not trying to see this more abstractly, then yeah. the characters are very one dimensional and it, yeah, there's no, <laughs> right. There, there's no consideration for, you know, something more there because I don't really think there deserves to be. No. Uh, so, um, beautiful film score was beautiful as well. Really enjoyed the score of this film. Um, the the action beats when they were there are very visceral. Yes, uh, very, very intense. Um, I I would say I was never ever bored in this film, um, and there's an opportunity to, for that to happen. Um, I feel like it could have been maybe 15, 20 minutes less, um, but I don't think that anything was necessarily. Um, there were no shots that I think were wasted. Put it that See, way. I, I don't. I don't really feel like anything here was superfluous. I think. I think the film felt. Felt pretty evenly paced, um, even though the. It's not really the. There's there's not there's no strong narrative driving the film, yeah. um, and in spite of that, I, I think it. They, you know, Inuritu did very well, uh, kind of structurally and. Um, with with the character's journey making it interesting 
it more than at a visual level. It definitely makes you wonder, like, man, can you imagine living on the frontiers? Like, that is a crazy life that to would suck. Yeah. Like, the choose that life, like, you know, those people, Hugh, I mean, Hugh Glass was a crazy dude. Uh, wild, that's, wild and crazy guy. That's for sure. Um, anything else you want to say before we move into spoilers? I feel like we can really let loose in spoilers. We can, but then again, you know, we're just kind of we're. There, is there really that much to talk about? So you just don't want to do spoilers. I, let's do spoilers. Okay, okay, we'll do spoilers. All right. So if you don't want to hear spoilers for the Revenant, uh, stop listening now. What, honey? Wow. Are you kidding really? me? You just ruin it every oh, time. Uh, I'll see you at home. Well, wait so a second. Rude. Now, how would you not know that that was taking place? All right. Spoilers. For the Revenant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to talk about the end because it's been bothering me since we watched it. So uh, he, the the fight back and forth. He's getting ready to kill Tom Hardy, and he decides because Indians. Do we really think there was Indians? Was that in his head? I I don't know. Well, uh, so Tom Hardy is is dead at this right. point, right? He's going to die. I mean. Probably. Then again, Glass's character survived all that crap too. But he's shot twice. He's been stabbed. Stabbed. He's got a tomahawk in his side. He's lost a couple fingers. Um, he's in bad shape. I mean, anybody else, but the protagonist <laughs> would be worried at this point. Yeah. Protagonist just be like, uh, yeah, give me a couple days outside in the freezing cold, <laughs> scavenging. I'll be right again. <laughs> but I. So there, there's more. There's more to the ending scene than just. Um, was it Fitzgerald? Is that his character's name? Tom Hardy's character's name? Yeah, Fitzgerald. Then just Fitzgerald being sent downstream to be finished off by, um, the angry chief looking for his daughter, because they pass Glass's character. Yeah. But they pass him wordlessly too. So. I mean, it, so if we're taking it literally, that they were literally there, um, which I, th- I think they, I, I don't know. The, so the, the Fitzgerald's body is, ends up downstream, um, you know, submerged in the water. I think if, if Glass had just pushed him in, then he probably would not have just let himself drown somewhere downstream. Or is the implication that... Glass drowned him, and then we're seeing like. Th- <laughs> I told you this. That's why yeah, I'm like so, so baffled by the end. Well, yeah. So, but but the important thing is that th- he's and I forget the daughter's name. Um. Uh, Pawa. Yeah, Pawaka. Pawaka. I I don't know. That's probably horribly butchered. But um, Glass is the one that saves her. Um. Right. So is she like as the writing passed, like, oh damn, there's that white dude that saved me. Like, no, don't kill him, he's cool. Uh I just or is the implication that he's already dead and they know he's already dead? That he's um, been dead yeah. um since before he started the journey. Uh and they can somehow tell that he's He's completed his final act, and there's nothing left for him on Earth. Um, See, the other thing that... Did they accept his sacrifice, and, you know, I... 
I, I just don't like I don't like I guess that's my thing is like I I don't want to understand completely what the story is saying about revenge. Um, you know, Glass is Glass's wife gets murdered. Her village is destroyed, and she gets murdered. And then he kills out of revenge. He, so he's tasted revenge. And well, I don't. I don't know if he does. I mean, he he kills. I think the most clear picture we have is that he kills a French officer in defense of Hawk. Right? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Well, yeah. In the I flashbacks. I don't know if they can. You can apply revenge for many of that stuff. Um, I guess maybe not. I, loss is, I think, the yeah. I, and I think if the movie focused more on what it was like to to experience loss, I don't. And I don't know. I, I guess we should probably could have looked into it. I don't know if he really does come back and kill this guy. If that's part of the story, or you're talking about the real story. Yeah. The the well, the real story is that he was a trapper, and that he ran into a bear up close and personal and killed it, and his party found him, and kind of thought he was dead. And wrapped him in this bear skin as kind of a memento of that. He beat this bear. Yeah, dude, you killed a bear. What's <laughs> up? What a way to go out. Yeah. Bury him in a shallow grave and they leave. And he digs his way out of the grave and crawls, you know, 30 miles back to the nearest settlement and survives. But there's no revenge story um, in the real account of. I don't even know if his name is Glass, but. It is. I, is I, it? I did and, look that part up. In yeah. the real account of this guy's life, there, it's not a revenge story, it's just a, a pure survival story. <laughs> Just pure badass testosterone, <laughs> hardcore frontier yeah. mofo. I, maybe I'm just getting hung up, but I feel like the whole movie is is about this revenge tale, and I just the ending was so problematic to me that I, I've just I've had trouble grappling on how I feel about the film. I mean, I definitely enjoyed the film. I definitely, like I said in, in the non-spoilers, like I, I was entertained, and I definitely liked Tom Hardy's performance. I liked Leo's performance. I know you didn't really care for it. Uh, that much, but I think it was a very physical performance. It was very demanding, um, but I just the narrative was just was so thin, and the payoff was so confusing. And I don't think it had to be. I don't, I don't mind films being vague in their endings or their meanings, but I, I don't want to be. I don't want to leave a film and ponder about it, and and I feel like there's no plausible answer. I don't like. A movie just I'm getting a little off the the, the tra- off the trail a little bit, but there's a movie called Enemy with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. It's done by uh, Denis Villeneuve, the same guy who did Sicario. Extremely abstract film about um, infidelity, and it is really abstract. And people have talked about the ending of that film for a long time, and it's really weird. And but it's easily it's easy to put your own spin on that end of that movie and take from it whatever you want this this I don't know I don't have a way to take it. like I feel like it's I'm not looking for hints on whether or not he was dead or, or you know he really did see the Indians I just want to know is he satisfied with his revenge did he realize that revenge isn't the right answer because at that point the dude's already dead like you said like he was he was gonna die like so it just why didn't like to me it was like why wouldn't he just kill him off like it his moment of mercy wasn't real mercy which i i don't know well, and there's there's a lot of detail in the film too um like so did you spend any time thinking about why 
uh, Fitzgerald scalped the captain? Uh, I assumed it was just to make sure, make it look like yeah. Indians had. So just, I mean, just little touches like that. But then when it comes to the the narrative, not just the actions of the characters, but the motivations for the characters, um, it's it's just not satisfying, kind of. I and I don't know if that's because of the build up or because of just the way the film is structured that he has to spend so much time mm-hmm. not interacting with other characters because of Inuritu's vision um, for what he wanted the film to be. Uh, but it it wasn't it wasn't satisfying, but it also didn't leave leave me pondering the details of the film to try and piece together uh an interpretation or something I was missing I just kind of mentally checked out at the end of the film and you know that's that's just me I'm just one viewer I'm not saying that there's nothing there but uh, at the end of the day we have this beautiful film with fabulous cinematography fantastic direction um, great performances I, I think Leo turned in a good performance I'm just you know I, I don't ever think... He, he will really have to blow me away uh, with something um, for me to like him and not think he's just unbelievably overrated. But uh, good and great performances all around. And um, the, the film just kind of didn't really impact me, except for uh, visually, I mm-hmm. think, at the end of the day. So, um, have, you, have you seen Birdman? I still haven't seen Birdman, no. The ending is uh, similar to that, and then it was very ambiguous, and there was a lot of chatter over the end of, the, of that movie. Um, but I still feel like there's there was more a um, a push in a certain direction at the end of that film than in this film of what the hell's going on. Um, Tom Hardy, I want to talk about him a little bit because he... <laughs> you heard We've heard so much about Leo... In this film, and but Tom Hardy was just I I could I could watch him do anything like well we've I've said this before but he can go from somebody that you enjoy in a film you like like in Inception you just he's the coolest dude on camera or um, he's this this brute in Lawless where you just like but a likable brute yeah a likable brute yeah to this guy who you just you can't stand like you want him to get his come up it's like he's just a devious racist hateful immoral <laughs> bastard yeah greedy yeah. just me 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 um i i love the performance though like i can't see anybody um else in that role i i mean i thoroughly enjoyed him um and he has the majority of the dialogue in the film. A lot of it is resting on his shoulders. And his, his accent is like, it's so good. His American accent, I think you even said that. It's just so good. Like, it's it's unique, too. It's wholly unique. I don't feel like, um, you know, it would be tempting to give that accent or uh, for whatever reason, people, when they do Frontier, a twang to it. Um and I, I just I feel like it was 
it was an excellent performance. And uh, he did get nominated, which I was kind of surprised by just because you hadn't heard him, his name being mentioned. And he really wasn't in a lot of the marketing. Um, just, well, you know, Tom Hardy's in this film. and But he really stole the movie for me. Um, just terrific performance. Yeah, I mean, with, you know, so the thing about the writing is that you know Glasses, the protagonist, you know his motivations. They're very clear. But without a good antagonist, mm-hmm. there's no way this film would have worked. Right. Yeah, like it—it's not the narrative is not super compelling to begin with. But if you hadn't had somebody on screen that you just the audience just hated, then It'd be like a fictional episode of Survivor Man or something. Yeah, it would—it would just you wouldn't care at all. It would be this beautiful, pointless film. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think. Uh, I think Gleason, yeah, uh, his yes. character. You know, you're in the beginning. You're kind of not sure what he's going to bring to the table, mm-hmm. but um, he's this great moral compass yes. for the audience. And then later, kind of a, a sacrificial lamb, for which I, I found a little bit unnecessary. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was kind of unfortunate. I don't. Yeah, I I don't. I think it was gratuitous that his character had to die. We we already we already hate Fitzgerald. Yeah, we don't need to. You don't need to kill our moral compass to drive no. the point home, but you did, and that's that's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah. you did. But you did. But yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, and we talked about this too. It's a little off topic, but man, what a freaking year for Domino Gleason. Gosh, yeah. Just, <laughs> uh, and again, wholly different performances in in each one. Yeah. You know. Oh, and I thought his accent was great in this too. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, you know. Uh, well, the first time I saw Domino Gleason was in Ex Machina, um, and he play, he plays you know a, a likable character. Um, he, you know he's a, he, there's been arguments, but I consider him the protagonist of the film. Some people would say that it's um, Ava, but whatever. Um, Contrarian jerks yeah. would say it's Ava, but uh, yeah. And then he has uh, I saw him in um, a Black Mirror episode. Where he plays a robot that's used for sex, <laughs> and it was such a like that's when I knew like oh this guy is a good actor, and then you know he's okay in Star Wars he's you know he's fine, but this role just um, it's not a completely nuanced role, but it made me think of him saying like uh, he can definitely lead a film like he's charismatic in that role. Uh, in a way that I hadn't seen before. Um, but, yeah, I definitely was impressed with... The, the performances are all around great, but I, I think Domino Gleason and Tom Hardy both stand out to me as being um, extremely, ext- extremely above the curve. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so, th- so this year alone, Gleason has done Brooklyn... Um, I didn't even. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, he was in Brooklyn too. Revenant, I, Ex Machina, and The Force Awakens, uh, at the very least. <laughs> that is that is that is an impressive list. Um, you know, Revenant, Brooklyn, and Ex Machina were all nominated in different categories for, uh, I guess, Star Wars too. But you're in the biggest film of all time, pretty much, um, or close to it. Uh, and in, in America. In America, yeah. yeah. Uh, and. Uh, an Oscar Golden Globe winning picture uh, with a very important role and one of my favorite films Ex Machina 
Um, and then, you know, Brooklyn's received rave reviews and nominations, so that's a that's quite a year. Yeah. Although, I mean, last year, not quite as prestigious, but he was in Calvary. Calvary which is excellent film, by the way. Uh, Unbroken and Frank, which Frank was one oh, of my yes. favorite little gems of last Frank, year, too. Yeah, you recommend that to me, and uh, it's a movie I wanted to watch, but I never... I had really gotten around to it until you recommended it, but yeah, that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting film. Um, so great performances, great direction, beautiful film. Definitely see it if you if if you can theater. Yeah, and again, despite what we're saying here, our criticisms about the narrative, um, go see this in theaters. It's there. There's nothing else, nothing else like it. No, um, oh, you know, you know, what we haven't mentioned the elephant in the room is the CG. Oh, yeah, that to me was probably the worst part about the film. Yeah, uh, there, the, there are some scenes, and it, it just the only thing I can think of is they spent the entire effects budget on the scene with the bear. Yeah, and the bear isn't photorealistic. Yeah, but it's good enough that it like gives weight to the scene mm-hmm, um, for sure. It's it's yeah. a hard it's a hard scene to watch somebody being mauled by a bear. Yeah, I mean this movie's hard to watch in a lot of places. The most realistic bear mole depiction I think I've seen. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but there are some really bafflingly bad CG scenes, especially with uh, two that I remember: the caribou uh, crossing a river, and then the wolf hunting yeah. the bison and the the bison herd, buffalo herd, whatever you want to call them. And that was just really weird, uh, and seemed completely out of place. Yeah, it's it's so bad, it's it's confusing. Like yeah. to to your brain, it 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 took it took me out of the film at least. Um, yeah, it, it definitely me too. I thought the same thing. Uh, the buffalo scene was by far worse than the elk crossing the stream. Um, but yeah, that oh man, that was. That was rough. And the film is so visually immersive that they it can't really afford to to do that to the audience. Yeah. But, and you know, hopefully it doesn't bother you. Uh, but man, it I was just confused. Um, <laughs> so this is so bad. And I I thought that the avalanche was CGI, but that was actual. They set off dynamite to send that snow coming out, which. I, I mean, I guess that's great CGI, or that's great uh, that I thought it was CGI because I, I thought it kind of looked fake, but I guess it was real. Huh. But yeah, the animals definitely, man. That was that was really that was a really frustrating part because you, this movie is so. I mean, it's like you said, it's so immersive, and you don't expect a movie set in the 1800s to have CGI, let alone CGI that's this bad. I don't know. I mean, maybe we're being nitpicky because it, it really doesn't affect the film that much. But at, this, at that time, like, I felt the same thing as you. It was like, why? That was. I did, and I really, I really hate bad CGI. Like, yeah. I have a. I can't get around it. Well, I, I, so I don't think it bothers CG, bad CGI in general. I don't think it bothers me as much as it bothers you. But this film is so authentic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, the, like subjecting the actors to these conditions, right. the natural lighting, uh, and then you have just these this couple this handful of shots with just bad CG actors or animals on screen. Yeah, um, and it's, <laughs> it's it's 
it, it it took me out. It took took away my suspension of disbelief for a little bit. You know, I do it took know me out of the film. So I I, I had read um, when we got home. I did read that they were over budget and partly because Inaritu was a maniac and he's like literally trotting the globe for places to film and he's filming in South America he's filming in Canada and Montana and just the most remote places where they're having to take these cameras to and it's super expensive uh, for really no reason at all um, other than to just make it as difficult as possible to to shoot Um, so I think maybe and when anytime you blow, this is going to be really technical. But anytime you blow your your budget shooting a film, you're in trouble if there needs to be anything on the back end. Yeah. So, and I'm sure they had already tucked away the money for the bear because that was an important part of the film. So they had funds that, and that's and that's why it looks bad is they obviously didn't have the money, and that and that's on the director. You know. Yep. Well. It's on the producer, too. and yeah, yeah, more uh, so, I guess, on the producer. You're right. Because you gotta. I mean, really, it's it's your job to rein in the director when the production's compromised. Right. Um, <laughs> just just say no, and I mean, and they've they've in every interview they've thanked the production for not saying no, and it's like should have said no. <laughs> Would have made maybe a better film. If, I mean, visually, it's fine, but um, I mean, it's a great film. Check it out. It's probably going to win Best Picture. Um, so I don't think we have to convince too many people to see it. Uh, the Oscars will already do it for you. So, um, But see it, yeah, see it in theaters is what, definitely. what I'm saying. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything else for the show? No. Um, I think we have a really interesting show coming up. Uh, we're going to... Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't believe it until you hear it next week from us. But the plan is to go see Michael Bay's 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. The Bayhem. The, the Bayhem. The Bay Explosions. The Boobs. <laughs> Maybe not in this film, but... I'm sure he'll find a way to work oh, yeah. in... That's true. It's so, Michael Bay. Yeah. I mean... It'll be probably extremely offensive to Arab... Well, Li- Libyans are already really upset about the film. Yeah. It's not not going not going over well already. Oh jeez, can't wait can't wait to see this one. Um, and then I think we're gonna do uh, our top five movies that we that we liked. It, um, it's okay, we can piss them off. It, they're just a destabilized state in a vulnerable place with ISIS already <laughs> taking a, a foothold. Uh, and um, and it's not our fault at all. Yeah, we and we had nothing <laughs> we to do had with nothing it. To do. <laughs> um, oh man, this is gonna be a fun review. Um, so. <laughs> Possibly reviewing that. Going to do our top five. Um, not the Chris Rock movie, but our actual top five films of the year. Yeah. So you got that to look, look forward to. Um, I think 2015 Greatest Hits. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure 13 Hours will be on my 2016 list. So It's already on mine, and I haven't even seen it yet. <laughs> God. All right. I think that's going to do it for us here at Midnight Film Review. Email us. Give us some... Uh, feedback uh itunes ratings are always helpful um we're out yeah send us an email we'll read it we'll make you famous and <laughs> okay, we're gonna again. blast you with some michael bay next week get ready <laughs> get ready Thanks. for it bye bye